0: Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Hemke. You're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, Chris, it has been a crazy couple of weeks on the podcast, huh?
1: Dude, I mean, (laughs) uh, it's such a nice, it's a breath of fresh air, you going into the marketing role, because now I don't get blasted for not answering anything on Facebook. That is all your responsibility. (laughs) Now, all I have to do is answer emails as my uh, sales role and my position over at DermaxTuner.com, which is
0: what I can barely handle as
1: it is. So it's nice. (laughs) It's nice to say the least,
0: but yeah, it's been crazy. Absolutely. We do appreciate those messages coming in on Facebook guys, please keep them coming. Uh, we had a great one come in from Nathan Bowman here recently. So yeah,
1: Nathan had uh, sent in a message. Okay. So I'm going to read it here. Hey guys, I'm a huge fan of the show. Thank you, Nathan. Um, I've always had a love for diesels, but never owned one. somewhat of a smart man. Um, (laughs) So much to where I started working for GM straight out of high school, building the Duramax engines. My daily driver is an 03 Silverado 5.3 liter, and I'm in the market to sell the truck and buy a Duramax. I'm wanting to go LOI or LBZ. So my question is, what is the biggest points in finding an unhealthy engine, such as blow-by, weak injectors, so on and so forth? Okay. So- we get this a lot, but generally the guy already bought the truck, having an issue, and,
0: and now we need helping to diagnose. him diagnose it. It's kind of nice to get it beforehand, it is. isn't it? It is not
1: it He's smart. I mean, he deals with these engines, so he knows. Right. You know, so right. it's cool.
0: Um, What's cool is I would first say we did do a great couple of episodes with Danny Voss back in the day on buying a, your first diesel. Uh, yeah. I would check those out. There's some solid advice in there. But, Chris, I thought with all of your dirty dealings on Craigslist, you <laughs> might have a little, a little checklist, a couple of things you do as a standard yeah. and I'm going to knock off the easy ones first. Okay. Okay. Um, you're going out to look at a Duramax, right? Isn't that? Yeah, Duramax. Yeah, yeah. Going out to look at a Duramax. Boom, pop the hood, grab the upper radiator hose. That's a staple. If you can touch the hose together, even if there's a little pressure, but if you can touch the hose together, you're good to go.
1: I mean, this is after the truck's been ran, too. So yes, you want to yes, run the system, you know, you want to get it hot. But yeah, I mean, if the if the upper radiator hose is
0: ballooned out or... Um, or if it's so hard yeah, you can't squeeze it squeeze together, it together Stay the F away. I, I, I actually check this cold, then I fire up the truck, so, so when I go to look at a used diesel, I ask them absolutely under no conditions, should that truck be warm when I show oh, up? Oh, ab- I, I say I the same thing. I need to see it cold because yep. the first thing I'll do is I'll walk up, pop the hood, squeeze the radiator yep. hose, because sometimes they sit overnight and they build pressure, mm. right? So I'll walk up, pop the, ho- or pop the hood, squeeze the hose. Usually it doesn't build pressure, it just maintains pressure. Maintains. I'm yeah. sorry. it's cool. Okay. Then I'll go fire it up and then I start running through my other. So what do you do after that easy one?
1: So... Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go back to what I do Oh, my, my practice. Break so it down. my dad taught me at a very young age um, a lot uh, there's a lot to be said about a vehicle that has a nice driver's seat or cockpit. You got to think about it 99% of the time that that trucks used, someone's in the drive I mean 100% someone's in the driver's yeah, yeah. seat. So when you get in the truck and the seat's all ripped to shit and the steering wheel's fucked up or you know whatever the case may be stains in the carpet in the driver's seat maybe the vehicle hasn't been maintained to the best of its ability. Now when you get into a hundred fifty two thousand two hundred thousand 200,000 mile truck in and the driver's seat in the, in the cockpit looks like new, chances are he probably took care of it. You know, like my dad, he would always put, um, uh, like cloth, like a blanket on the driver's seat on the pad. So he didn't wear the seat getting in and out. Right. And when I would get in his truck, you don't slide in, you get up and you sit in and you don't <laughs> slide out, you get up and, and get out. So that was one of the things that he taught me something I always used. Yeah. Um, but the overall external condition of the truck, you know, is it all dented and dinged and scratched, uh, bald tires, bad brakes, squeaks, things like that. And did, did the owner of the truck take care of it and maintain it as needed?
0: So when you walk up, what, what I'm hearing here is there is this initial impression yeah. of – how do I think this truck was maintained? You've already looked at the numbers. You already know how many how much mileage is yep. on it. You know what year it is. You know all the basic stats of a stock truck. But when you walk up, you, you kind of look to see, is this something that I would put a target on? Is this something that I want? Uh, or is this something that like, eh, has probably changed hands quite a few times?
1: I, I mean, we'll go back to my 07 truck, my 07 mm-hmm. Cummins. 348,000 miles. That body looked like it had 50,000. It did, yeah. The body was, was gorgeous. Yeah. You open the door, the interior looked like it was brand new. Other than the typical bar feeling in your leg, on, yeah, the, yeah. on, the, on the left side the of your leg. Yeah. yeah. But the seat didn't have a rip. The interior was flawless. That guy took phenomenal care of that truck. Right. You know, so those are the things that I look at. Um, And that's going to tell you a lot about, you know, the previous owner maintenance, things like that. But to dive into the mechanical side of things, check all your fluids. One thing I do, I always recommend and I always uh, demand that the truck be cold. I pull the oil cap and I pull the dipstick on a cold start. So before I go and start it, I pull the cap, I pull the dipstick, start the truck. Is there any white smoke? Okay. There's going to be a little breathing, you know, things do happen, but if you have a heavy breather, I mean, you're going to see it. It's right there in the flesh. Yeah. Um, Check for leaks, get under the truck, you know, is anything damp, the trans, the housing, the oil pan, things like that. Um, If you have the ability to, to gain access to like um, uh, controllers, you know, like devices to check balance rates, scan tools and whatnot, check balance rates, take the truck for a drive, lean on it, check, you know, fuel pressure, things like that. Uh, Trans fluid inspecting that, making sure the trans goes through the gears with no hesitation. I mean, this is all common sense stuff that anyone that is buying a, these trucks are not uh, these trucks are not cheap. Okay. Yeah. So these are all things that I feel you they're
0: know? they're also all easy to overlook. Oh, for sure. W- what happens? I've is done that too. You get there yeah. and you get excited. You're like, oh fuck, it's yeah, clean. got New have truck. It. Yeah. Like, oh, man, I,
1: I've always wanted that LBZ. I've always wanted that fully loaded yeah. crew cab. Dude, it's got a sunroof. That's rare. Got to have it. And the truck's the biggest piece of shit. So so many times. There's a lot of things there. Um, you know, checking the coolant reservoir too. You know, if it has bad head gaskets or you have like a bad oil cooler or a crack in the head, you'll see black residue do in the coolant uh, yep. reservoir. So there's just a lot of things that... You know, you can always go online and Google what to look for or whatever, or give us a call over at, you know, the shop and we'll kind of help steer you in the right direction. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, these are things that, I mean, I've been buying and selling trucks online for 12 years and um, I've gotten better over time to say the least. <laughs> hey, and run a VIN number and make sure it's not a salvage title. Been there, oh, done that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That hurt me a couple of years ago. It's not a salvage. Yeah, yeah. No, it's clean it, one owner. Bullshit. Salvage. On oh. the new VIN it is. <laughs> so stuff to look out for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, thank you so much for sending in a message to us. Uh, other listeners, please feel free. Any questions you have about the the trucks you have, your next performance mod, uh, just je- questions in general, send them in. If it's something we can't answer, we might refer you over to somebody who can, or we'll try to bring them on the mm-hmm. show and talk talk to yeah, all of our yeah. listeners. If you have the question, chances are somebody else does too. Cool. Uh, speaking of. A lot of people thinking the same thing, yeah, yeah, and a target being on something, dude um, yes. I would say a lot of people would like to put a target on a sixty eight r f e and blow it the fuck up,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> Touchy subject right now, but yes, absolutely. Come on, I mean, for real. I mean, there
0: are a lot of people who hate 68 RFE transmissions, yeah. which is the, the stock transmission that came in the 07.5 and newer Cummins.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, 07.5 Automatic. to 9, the third gen 6.7s, which there's not a ton of aftermarket support for. Mm-hmm. Us over at Calibrated Power Duramax Tuner, we specialize in the 2010 to 18. Right. 68 RFEs because um the segments in the trans are now in the powertrain control module for RAM. So we have full capabilities of tuning them. So we can actually nice. tune yeah. them, right? So yeah, I mean uh, you know, let's kind of dive into it. You know, uh, one of the reasons why I would never buy a four gen Dodge or a six seven in general was because of the trans. Like right. if I bought one, I had to have a manual.
0: But let's let's talk about why that is, because I feel like there was this big hype around how terrible they were because of failures. Yeah. So what kind of fails? What failed in them? I mean, generally, the the what
1: I have heard from the experts and from mm-hmm. end users is it's usually the fourth, fifth, sixth gear. So it's your overdrive gears.
0: So it's clip or clutch slippage?
1: Clutch slippage, converter failures. And I think a lot of that's dedicated to, number one, no one with a Cummins has stock tires, right? And they hoo-ha. all run 35s. Yeah. These transmissions are designed to get into high gear and maintain low RPM. For an example, you're doing 40, 45 miles an hour. The truck is in sixth gear converter, locked up 1100 RPM. Now compound that with a set of 35s.
0: Right. And and then, well, I th- I think, and for those who don't know why that's a problem is what happens is then you step on the throttle.
1: Yep. Because you're truck, fourth gear, you're sixth. Loaded, lugged, or more so like the truck is you're you're trying to harness a lot of power or a lot of torque at a low RPM and the truck, it's just lugging like, yeah. and it doesn't want to downshift. It doesn't want to unlock and downshift. Right, It just wants to stay maintained in that gear, which is just very, very stressful.
0: So there's, there's two things going yeah. on there. One, uh, the, the overall responsiveness is slow. So the, the, which are, what I'm trying to say there is the physical time it takes to Engage and disengage different clutch packs takes a long fucking time. And then, two, is you have this strategy problem where I feel like there's always been a balance between drivability, horsepower, and fuel mileage, right? Like, hey, we need this truck to feel fast from the driver's seat, but we also have to have reliability out of it. We can't go blowing shit up. And then, on top of that, we also need fuel mileage. Well, Responsiveness and fuel mileage work against each other. Yeah, for sure. So they're like these polar opposites where if you want the truck to feel really responsive, you stretch those gears mm-hmm. out and you delay that shift. And you hold gear for longer, but especially in a six-seven, which has such a wide torque band. Yeah, for sure. At um, a low
1: RPM too.
0: At, at a low RPM, yeah. right? So so what happens is I, I think that drivability function is Really, what drives guys fucking nuts because in the newer stuff, we don't see the failures nearly as common.
1: No, but I think one of the other things that separates what we can support on the newer Rams and makes the trans a little bit more robust is the ability to maintain higher line pressure, right? So, the line pressure is going to allow for a more sufficient clutch coupling, so less slippage, less heat to build up over time. Um, so, for the guys with the bigger tires or the guys who just want to make a little bit more power, you have that reassurance in the clutch packs that are being applied. Yep. Um, so, when we did the R and D several years ago. You know, we reached out to a lot of the big names in the 68 world. Hey, what are the limitations? You know, uh, what is factory valve bodies capable of supporting line pressure wise? Because there's a relief valve, more or less, yep. in the valve body which will open at a specific line pressure. So, and, and that's what kills you. And that that's what's really going to hurt you. So, you got to understand the limitations of the factory components. Then you need to understand what aftermarket components can support higher line pressure or support that next step or that next level of performance right so that's kind of what the guys over at calibrated power did and you know what we've been able to develop is you want to take a stock truck uh, we'll just go four gen dodges right so cme trucks which is your 13 to present they're going to make roughly 340 345 horse to the rear tire so on a stock everything truck we can turn that truck up about 110 horsepower Yep. You want to go further than that, you got to do either a valve body modification, some of the earlier trucks we can do. Otherwise, I send you to someone like a RevMax or an ATS, and you get an aftermarket valve body. Then we could turn the truck up to north of 500 horse, yep. on a
0: stock trans. Which guys are doing it, yeah. and they're loving it.
1: Well, and I mean, we can go a step further. We could take the 15 truck that we have over at Calibrated Power, uh, a, 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 an upgraded converter and a valve body, and that – transmission otherwise was stock and we had twin turbos and an upgraded cp3 pump and a lift pump the truck was making north of 600 horse and it lasted for a while it took us last last fall to really launch the truck hard at the track to actually hurt
0: it yeah and we I,
1: still drove the truck
0: back and that's after all the dyno runs oh i mean that i mean seemed, if you really think yeah. about it like that truck got worked very hard on the dyno yep. time after time uh so to see it hold up i was i was very impressed and honestly now i i was just in the truck with nick the other day and um I love it. It, it shifts no, great.
1: It. Uh, I've been in it a lot recently myself. Uh, it's a breath of fresh air. I was there to buy the truck with Nick, to take him to the dealer to pick it nope. up. I was there from the start of all the, the 68 and the four gen support. So, I mean, I've been firsthand from the stock truck to what it is now. I mean, Ram is definitely the black sheep of the group when we're talking about the big three. Right. Okay.
0: Um, is well, nobody, the, nobody buys a Ram. You no, buy a Cummins buy wrapped Cummins, in Ram. Right. Yeah. So,
1: For me, even this, you know, uh, would that be my first choice? Honestly, no, it wouldn't be. But it's a simplistic approach. The truck itself, there's a lot of simple components that make it so desirable Mm -hmm. to where even with tuning, you know, it is a force to be reckoned with. It is a nice truck to drive. It's very pleasurable to be in. The interior is nice. The drivability is nice. Nice twin turbos on that truck. It's nice.
0: Yeah. It's Ooh, nice. Wow. You said it, man. Well, speaking of nice, uh, I was thumbing through Diesel Power Magazine again and pulled out an article for our industry news this week. Yeah, And the article I came across is titled The Runner. It is this bad motherfucker Dude. uh regular cab black lb7 my shit i just 300,000 miles and my dick is hard i'm Dude. telling you it's yeah. just so like a the cool r- setup
1: <laughs> you like the old randowns i can tell <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry
1: uh, but yeah i mean look we'll go through the build fast how about
0: that i dig it okay. built engine
1: so built motor again deemed the runner built motor the the owner's name is mike mass or Mas. sorry yeah, yeah. um Built motor. It has custom EFI live tuning. It has a set of 150% percent SNX SNS injectors. Those are big fucking injectors. Big man. injectors. Um, he has a dual CP3 setup on it. A fast 220-gallon-per-hour lift pump. That's massive. Um, an S369SXE over a 485 uh, compound setup. Uh, orange piping kit. I like that. That's like that <laughs> Halloween theme going it, on yes. there. Yes. Built transmission to support it. The truck made 1,244 horsepower and 2,100 foot-pounds of torque in a regular cab.
0: So nasty. Dude. We were just talking um, just a little while ago about the, the different regular cabs we've been yeah, in and right? things like that. But when you're 1,200 horse and just a standard Dude. regular cab, and especially this thing, it doesn't look – I'm not trying to knock it, but it doesn't look like it's a show truck. Mm, it I looks mean, like it gets driven and it gets used. Yeah. It looked very nice in the pictures, but it's, it's not – you know, he doesn't have underclothes on it. Right, there's right, no right. ridiculous, I mean, like, it, anything it, about it. It just looks like a plain Jane it's regular It's all cab. go,
1: no show. You yes. know, when I mean, you pop the hood, it's got an orange kit. Badass. Right, not, right No right. discredit there. But, you know, these are the type of trucks that when you go to a truck meet or you go to a truck show or, you know, the trucks randomly just come up to our shop and it's like, oh, it looks nice. Got wheels, got this, got that. You pop the hood, you're like, damn, look at that. <laughs> you know, that's just an impressive number. I mean, 2,000 foot-pounds of torque in a, in a street truck. Yeah. I mean... I get it. You know, you look at the UCC guys and you look at the Diesel Power Challenge guys, right? And you're like, oh, it's it's only 1,200 horse. You get in a 1,200 horse truck and a a 1,200 horse street truck.
0: There's my question. Is like, you know, we always joke about how the limit on horsepower and the the request for insane, obscene horsepower numbers have grown and grown over the years. But when you actually start talking to guys about how many of you've been. Been behind the wheel of of a, something over a thousand horsepower. Yeah. It's few and far between, and it's so labor. Because usually the guys who build a twelve hundred horsepower truck, them and the like one of the guys who built it are the only two people who have ever driven that. <laughs> yeah, truck. Yeah, there's right? a
1: reason for it. Yeah, right? they're like nobody yeah. else
0: is allowed to That's drive. That's like my truck. Nick
1: letting you take a six hundred horse truck. Like he freaks out. Like Shut the how fuck did Paul out. drive? How did he drive? Get oh come on, here. Man. I could blast you right now. I'm get Not gonna do here. it. Not gonna do it. But no, I mean it's you don't build a truck like that and then give it to a novice to go drive. Correct. Right? You don't get a guy on the a line that calls into the shop and says, "Hey, I have an one LB7. I want to build a thousand horsepower." Well, what's done to the truck? No, now, well, it's stock. You mean to tell me you're going to go from a stock 300 horse truck to a thousand wheel horsepower truck, and you're going to know how to drive right. it? It More doesn't than work. Triple that way. the power, and I'm not trying to discredit that guy. No, I'm no, just no, saying that it happens. It's it's a it's a handful. Yeah, you don't just get in it and drive it and think everything's okay. It's a whole new learning curve.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, All right, man. Well, I'll tell you what. The other segment that we're going to do today is another really cool one from Exergy uh, for their do's and don'ts. We again had associate producer Justin Tyson come on and put together a little story for us. Uh, Give us an example. We're going to let you listen to that right now, and we'll talk a little bit about it. You go to the local racetrack
1: Friday night in your built trans, stock fuel, stock turbo 06 Cummins. It's not your first time racing. In fact, over the last two years, you've been spending more time here. Racing, watching, and learning. You read all the industry magazines, watch every diesel truck racing video ever published, and even find yourself talking about the diesel drag racing to your wife, who is thoroughly uninterested. <laughs> One night, you notice you're losing miles per hour at the traps, and your estimated time is edging down. At first, you assume this is due to rookie mistakes at the line, but your 60-foot and reaction time is perfect, slip after slip. In the pits, you groan about the problem. Utterly confused, you cannot seem to hit the numbers you had just last weekend. Finally, your buddies help you diagnose the problem down to your fuel system. You jump online and order the cheapest 100 over-injectors you can find. You figure now that you have all this fuel, your estimated time in miles per hour will
0: not only come back to where they were, but now you should be a lot faster, too. All right, so that was Justin breaking us down on the 06 Cummins, uh, yeah. somebody who's been to the track a lot, learning a lot. I feel like this is a really new, young guy in the industry, yeah. right? Somebody who's put some time in, been using the truck, and he he really just started to see a problem and rushed into a diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, I
1: think you know when when I deal with with guys or hear similar stories, the honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is you have an old mechanical injection truck, like yeah. you've had one, and that's your background. And then you get into these new common rail engines, and it's a different ball game altogether, man.
0: It really yeah. is. Absolutely. So, so number one here is. When you're putting new injectors in the truck, you want to make sure that they match the rest of the build. Yeah. And that's really what the do is here is this week is it's it's pay attention to what you're doing. Set realistic expectations. If you're in a common rail diesel and you throw 100 over injectors in it with a stock pump, your limit is still the stock pump. It's like, um, It's like trying to push all of the water coming out of a garden hose through a straw. Yeah. It just – that straw is your limiting factor. I use, that's all you got. Dude, I use
1: the the analogy or the, the comparison of go to a go to a gas station, right? And you know the little mixing straws? Yeah. And try sucking out of that mixing straw. <laughs> it's fucking laborsome. <laughs> it sucks. But that's a big thing.
0: That That's what it is there. And so we get a lot of guys who run into this where they, they jump the gun. They throw big injectors at it. They not only think, am I going to get my ET back? Which he might. He, he'll yeah. probably, if, if it was the injectors, right. which we don't know. It's a made-up story. If it was the injectors, sure, that... Just putting new injectors in, stock or bigger than stock, he'll get his ET back
1: but he's not going to make more power. No. I mean, especially the guys, stock turbo, stock injection pump, to put it into perspective, yeah. and you go and throw a set of 100 overs in there, and you think you're going to make all the power in the world. I mean, stock injectors will make more power with a bigger turbocharger than a big set of injectors on a stock turbocharger right. would make.
0: And I think that's that's what the, the don't is this week, is don't get caught into what's the peak power limit of any one given part. Yep. It's really, what is your limiting horsepower factor? Yeah. What's the lowest performing horsepower number out of any of your, your components? components? Right. That's going to tell you what the horsepower of your truck yeah. is because that's what your limiting factor
1: is. That's the sp- that's what I say, speccing a full build, yeah. right? You want to make sure that every component in the truck correlate and work together. That's what the drivability and that's what's going to make or create that end goal that you had. Like anyone that we talk to, they have this vision, right? I want XXX, yeah. right? But they don't execute it that way, whether it was being misinformed, the budget didn't allow, or parts failed at the wrong times when, you know, instead of buying a turbo upgrade, they need to buy injectors. But right. that's when you reevaluate. What's the end goal look like? What do I want as an end goal? Yeah. I'm going to do a turbo next, I can sacrifice this right now. But don't expect that just because you put big money into one product or one part because it failed, it's going to net you everything and then
0: some. It That's just doesn't right. work that way. Yep. And I would say somebody who knows more about this stuff than most uh, <laughs> is today's guest. So we have on today. Well, I I don't think there's much introduction needed. No, just drop the name, Levon. How the hell are you? I'm doing good. good. Good to be here. Absolutely. We thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day to uh, talk to our listeners a little bit about your experience of crushing it at the UCC the last two years yeah. in a row, and uh, two DPC. or three years at yeah. DPC before that.
2: Yeah, it was two years before that.
0: Two years before that. And said,
2: uh, two years at UCC.
0: So four years reigning champ. That's reigning champ over it. over the biggest diesel yeah. competitions in the country. With two different trucks. I love it. Oh my god.
2: Well, A good way to make uh people people want to beat you pretty quickly. So I gonna... <laughs> we we were we were looking at some Facebook memories here recently of uh you know, our first trip out the Diesel Power Challenge and how you have uh, seemed like all of Cummins forum and the uh, the Facebook world are rooting for you. And uh, four short years later, uh, it seems like uh, we've somehow painted a pretty big target on our back.
1: I'm just going (laughs) to dive right into it because that was my first question is, you know, preparing for this year, preparing for last year, right? Preparing for the first UCC, you know, how does that feel? Because you do have the biggest target. You are the guy. You're who everyone wants to take out, whether they want to admit it or not. So true. What do you do with that? Do you use that as motivation? Do you drive? Like, what does that do to you guys?
2: Uh, you definitely have to use it as motivation. Um, I've got me and my brothers were all very competitive. Uh, in case if anybody's seen us at competitions, you've probably picked up on that. Yeah. And that's probably also why we did well in the first year of UCC and DPC because we probably, uh, took it maybe more serious than what well we had to, but mm. <laughs> I guess, uh, that it kind of set the precedent for, for the event. Uh, you see now, now we see a lot more trucks, uh, Kind of on the same level as ours with chassis builds and back halves, and kind of kind of taking on you know chasing the go fast mentality, and then waiting up and and uh, for the sled pool. So I think uh, I think taking the years prior experience and now your your four years that you've won a, a national event, and you go back to the fifth year, um, you you wonder kind of like how how can you. Uh, you, you really don't have much to gain, and you have everything to lose. So we just <laughs> we want to look forward to uh, having our ducks in a row and doing it the best we can, and we're going to give it our best shot. Well,
1: I can definitely say uh, saw you guys uh, 2016 at Shides, right? Um, uh uh-huh. You had engine issues. I remember one of the passes, and you and your brothers and just everyone, your crew as a whole, um, it's like nothing that I've ever seen at any of the events or any of the drag strip. You know, uh, you know, even the street races, like a um, King of the Streets here in Chicago. You know, it's a twenty to thirty thousand people spectated event. I've never seen a camp work on a vehicle and, and huddle around and fix stuff the way you guys do. And not only that, but draw a crowd while doing it. Oh yeah, everyone's <laughs> like, oh that's badass, that's badass, motherfucker. The truck just blew up.
2: You know, like it's just it's really
1: cool to see. You have a really good support team for sure
2: yeah well and that's that's really the the key to the whole thing is you have to have a team of people around it that uh want it as bad as you do and me and the guys at firepunk we all are i would say fairly well invested into the uh the whole diesel thing so Everybody's got their own trucks. And then when it comes to working on the race truck and it's crunch time, everybody's willing to throw in their time and efforts and make it happen.
0: Hell yeah. Absolutely. Well, you, you guys as a company really do seem to be all in on the competitive aspect of this industry, where, as in a lot of companies out here, um, you know, are about education or about, you know, sharing sharing knowledge and different kind of ways to reach new customers or ways to to help people in the marketplace. You guys are really just a hundred percent all in on, on the competition. How does that impact your employees? Like I imagine they're working long weekends. They're working long nights. How do you keep them going throughout all of this?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously we have to pace ourselves. Um, A lot of it. I mean, a lot of the guys that uh, work on a day to day basis, um, we, we obviously always keep the racing and competition stuff, uh, uh, optional for them, you know, cause I, I don't want anybody working at Firepunk feeling like the, the race team really just weighs them down and they don't want to do it anymore, but they really just have to stay late and, you know, help, help finish this project. So it is a, uh, the door's wide open. If you want to help win, um, we're going to be here working on the truck. So if you want to come help, come help and keeping that, uh, Keeping that mindset, I guess, uh, kind of leaves the door open for the people that are willing to, to help when they when they want to, but we don't want to take them away from family time, evenings, and weekends uh, if if they've got a
0: That's awesome. I, I mean, you're really drawing the passion out, just leaving the door open for the guys who really want it. And I think that that obviously we've seen the results of that at the show, yeah. you know, and and with the results of winning that when you have a team who's really passionate and really behind the project and believes in it it's taken you guys a far way um i was just gonna say you know he's talking about family
1: time he's got the best of both worlds he's with his brothers working on the truck on the (laughs) weekend so you know he's
0: got it and we've (laughs) we've seen your kids at 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 some of the competitions as well Uh, i know you guys get them out there as much as you can which i think is great too it it is a family sport you know it's a family event
2: yeah it is it's hard i mean obviously our, our our wives and children definitely do uh take the brunt of the of the weekend racing because the weekend racing doesn't pay bills um, uh-huh. so really that needs to be done outside of work hours a lot of the time uh this winter we have uh, my brother Lynn's been working on our new uh pro mod project that we're doing for a customer in uh, texas uh it's a save the we're doing a it's, it's going to be called the save the racks s10 and it's a customer in texas who has a uh, Charity Foundation for Breast Cancer Awareness, and uh, his name's Edgar Articona and we've been doing a big project on that. So, Lynn's pretty much been full time on uh, race vehicles all winter, along with some uh, fabrication projects here and there, a couple of roll bars for some customers. But it keeps uh, keeps everything rolling. Saturdays, we usually bring the bring the kids in and let them rollerblade in the shop while we keep on going so the kids can <laughs> spend some time with us, and we can uh, still get our family time in. But we always take Sundays off and take
0: a take a day away and step back and hang out with the kids and come back and do it again on Monday. Hell yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Structure. Um, well, well, speaking of just repetition and winning these competitions year after year, I got to kind of wonder, do you have it dialed in this year to where you really didn't have to change much and you're just bringing back the same truck, or, or were there a lot of modifications that you saw from last year areas of potential improvement?
2: Oh, uh, well, from where we came from, UCC last year, there's a lot of improvement. We had—I don't know if you remember—we had done the uh, sigma motor uh, for the dyno last year, where we were trying to lay down 3,500 horsepower, and it didn't quite work out like that. But um, <laughs> w- this year, so we had—we kind of lost. Didn't didn't try to go crazy on the common rail motor for horsepower, um, and we ran—I think an 860 was our best pass. Um, and in competition at Ultimate Callout Challenge last year. And then we came back, and that was our first our first track day, really, was at UCC um, with the new chassis. And we looked at some data and started going over everything and figured that we had our new injectors that we had tried uh, were a different spray pattern that on the bench were amazing, but in real-world application did not yield the results that we wanted so, we actually went back to uh, the previous year's um, extra G 500% overs um, the following weekend and went, well, we went to uh, Oklahoma just a few weeks after UCC, and that's where we ran that 799 And it really, the only change from UCC to that was going back to the old injectors. Wow. Oh, my so, God. Um, going, from an, going from an 863 to $799 uh, yeah. really is a pretty big jump. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what our goal is. Our goal in uh, that 799 pass was a 521 eighth mile. And then by Rudy's in the fall, we ran three consecutive 50 passes.
1: Jesus. Uh,
2: so I really think if we can get everything ironed out just the way with the truck we had by the end of the year last year, we can go um, and put 780s on the board um, if everything goes right.
0: That is just so insane. 780s. Uh, what's, your, what's your curb weight on that truck?
2: We are at... Forty-five thirty at the moment. <laughs> That's with about a hundred pounds of ballast in it to get us above Pro Street minimum weight.
0: Jeez. Oh my god! Okay, so it, it's it's cooking at the track, and you guys have always kind of killed it in the racing series. Um, really have a lot of time. It's you. It's you driving, right? You run the truck at, at every yeah. competition. Uh huh. Okay, so sled pulling, you guys are no slouch either. Um, how, does, how does this beast change from the strip to the, to the dirt?
2: Um, people have kind of paid attention to some of the stuff we've done, but we've the hardest part in getting a, a back half four-link truck, uh, it's a sled pull, is not actually ruining your chassis uh, in the process. So we've got a big, uh, we've got big steel, half-inch thick steel plates that go on the side of the back half that basically make the whole back end into a solid suspension. Or we're taking the coilover shocks out and putting rigid plates in, and then we've got a ladder bar system underneath the plates that go from the plates forward to the front control arms, which ties the the bottom of the truck together to keep it from flexing. And then the roll bar and the bars going back on the top basically built a bridge system. To where the chassis is rigid uh, for sled pulling, and where we we'll take the uh, we jack the front of the truck up and put the OEM spring spring pack uh, over top of the coil overs uh, to hold so that we can handle the weight of the weight box up front. So There's a good bit of work that goes into it. Obviously, what this year we'll um, just roll the nine inch racing axles out from underneath it and roll the uh, sled pulling axles in it with the gear gears already in it uh, whereas last year we were doing gear changes overnight so this this year we'll be rolling in axles instead of doing a gear change
0: okay okay simplifying the process so once again kind of taking a look at what ate up a lot of time because as i remember the story your guys's crew pretty much you included were awake for like three days straight to get ucc 2017 in the books
2: yeah. it was bad we <laughs> came to the end of the ucc last year and said nope we're not doing that again um, we're done <laughs> and uh and then uh I guess we were, we just kind of pretty much, I don't know, did we go too hard, I guess, but we pretty much got to the point where we were not willing to, it just wasn't worth um putting, not sleeping. Basically you get so far, a man can only take so much. And you're like, I'm going to go sleep. <laughs> so I think that's how pretty much our whole crew was by the end of UCC last year. Cause we did that engine swap and we did that engine swap both nights. Like we were retarded. Well, pretty, pretty sure.
0: What's funny <laughs> is it, it, it not only pushed you guys and your crew really hard, it worked. I I mean, just for all, for for all clarity here, like you won. Um, but I, I I do love the idea that you're looking at like kind of at what cost, you know, was it worth it? I, I love the way it's phrased there. Also, it spurred quite a bit of controversy between some of the competitors. I heard everything from you guys pulled the body off of one truck and slapped it onto another one, to you guys went through three <laughs> motors, yeah. to you guys changed out the back half, which I thought was hilarious. Um, yeah. So all sorts of different ideas of what people thought you were doing or thought was going on, right. um, as opposed to like what the reality is. And like right. If you would like to do well, this, the, feel free. You know, I think it's kind of the message there, right? Like, hey, if you guys right. think that's yep. what the key to winning was, go do it.
2: I would say if anybody wants to do that, uh, go right ahead. It, <laughs> we, we proved that it, uh, it's it can be done, but your time, it's retarded. It's not, it's not worth the effort. Because last year, I'm guessing the body off uh, comments probably came from the, the Sigma motor with the top feed injectors. And the fuel lines coming out of the top of the valve cover mm-hmm. physically did not fit in our engine bay. Um, with the uh, aftermarket cross number we have welded in our chassis up front. So we had to take the front axle out and pick the truck up, put the Sigma engine on the ground and set the truck down on the engine. Then jack the engine up, put the engine mount on, bolt it to the frame, and then let the truck back down, put the axle back on
1: it. So that just so leaves me... Pain.
2: It, was, it, was, it was a lot of work.
1: <laughs> leads me right to the next question. Do you have one motor, two motors, or maybe three this year?
0: No, uh, just one engine. Okay, one engine. Now, yeah. now, I mean, last
2: year we had the common rail setup that we ran for the. We ran the same engine for our racing and sled pulling. We just swapped the Sigma in to try to make a big number on the dyno.
0: Okay. Uh, where'd you land last year on the dyno? Second. Second. Okay. Are, yeah. Is it? As we've talked to a lot of the other competitors and even the qualifiers at this point, people are starting to pick up on the fact that, like, you maybe necessarily don't have to pull first in every every category, right? Like, we, yeah. we talked to you about this even back with Diesel Power Challenge. You really just need to be the best overall. Use the point system, mm-hmm. right? And know where you're at in the right. point system. Yeah. But as everybody starts to adopt that, it eventually comes down to, like, there's only so many places to be first. Somebody has to be first. So... Right. Do you yep. feel like for you guys that's gonna be the racing? Do you feel like that's gonna be the dyno this year? It sounds like you're kinda of backing off on that one, so I gotta wonder, is it sled pulling or is it racing?
2: No, I think I think honestly if you can get a top three in every event, you have a you have a fair shot at winning the event. Okay.
0: Um
2: so you I mean, obviously we don't we don't just lay down and say, Oh, we're not gonna worry about the dyno, but what we learned last year is I know 100% how much horsepower that Sigma engine and setup made, and I know what the chassis dyno was able to, what we were able to actually get down to the chassis dyno. Right.
0: Um,
2: so that that leads me to believe that um, I really like we saw we saw a thousand RPM worth of slip in our data um, on the dyno. So like I pulled the engine to 6,500 RPM, the dyno only went to 5,500 RPM, the roller speed. So when I let off. When I let off the RPM, uh, let off the throttle under power, the RPMs immediately went from 6,500 to 5,500, which matched roller speed, which means we were getting 1,000 RPM worth of slip somewhere. So either The tires couldn't physically handle it. Um, the transmission couldn't handle it. Uh, something Somewhere there was some slip. Right. We went through the transmission that night. There wasn't any signs of slipping, but yet it's such a short run, I guess you could probably slip a clutch without actually physically burning it. Um So I I think my target for this year, I think if you can target 2,500 horsepower on the dyno, that's about as much um as the chassis dyno to wheel combination is going to handle, except for occasionally you might get a perfect acceleration or you might get twenty six, twenty eight hundred 2,800 horsepower out of it, I'm not sure. But seeing 3,000 horsepower on a chassis dyno, I believe, is going to be a lot harder than most think.
0: Really? Because last year that was the big question was who was going to hit 3,000. I mean, I mean, that's what everybody was talking about was, you know, this is going to be the year, right? We went from 2,200 to 2,600 horsepower. Right. We just kind of saw the natural progression to break that 3,000 mark. Well, take,
2: uh, take uh, 2016 to 2017 comparison in UCC. Um, we did right at 2,000 horsepower on the engine dyno at... Uh, Before 2016, Mm -hmm. and then we went to UCC to the chassis dyno and we added nitrous. That 2000 was fuel only. We added nitrous and we sprayed it to, we did uh, 2211, if I remember correctly, on the chassis dyno in 2016. And then we went to, and in 2017, we did uh, over 3000 horsepower on fuel only. And then and we did and that pass did uh, like 2100 on fuel only on the chassis dyno and then we added nitrous for the second pull with the sigma motor and it did 2399 hmm. and on the engine dyno that would have done 35 30 over over 3000 horsepower we'll just say that to be safe all right so that tells me like we we made a thousand horsepower more on the engine dyno than we did on the than we did the prior year and we only gained 200 horsepower on the chassis dyno.
0: Right. Okay. So you're and, thinking potentially the chassis dyno is just for now the technology leaves you yeah, tapped out think, on, on where you compete.
2: I don't think the dyno itself. I think the dyno itself can do it. But look at your look at your tire to roller contact area. Right. And it comes down to like drag racing. You can only physically apply so much power to the track. So you you don't take an 11,000-horsepower top fuel car and apply 11,000 horsepower on the line. No, they slip the clutch 330 feet out before right. they can apply that power. Yeah. So I think we're going to see the same limits on the chassis dynos. We're going to physically come up to a tire-to-contact limit area where you can you can only apply so much and accelerate the dyno so fast before you spin.
0: That's really so. interesting. I think that'll also start to change some, of p- some people's approach and how they're how they're ramping up and how they're getting ready. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see some new tire options out there. Um, you know, all sorts of ideas of just like you said, what you do on the track to help you get traction. You wonder if, or how that's going to help you on a dyno, uh, very similar concept. And of
2: course, this is all speculation. I don't, we don't, we don't really play a lot on a chassis dyno over 2000 horsepower. It's usually just for random events. We'll throw it on the dyno and see what it makes. Um, it would be interesting to actually, well, I guess this year we'll probably find out. I know the industrial camp um, says that they are making uh, 3,000 horsepower. So if if they are, and then you should be able to see it on the chassis dyno. But yeah. Yeah. that goes back to the same scenario like uh, Sean Bacchus' truck did 2474, I believe, in 2016. Yep. And over winter, they said they found 800, 800 more horsepower on the chassis, on the engine dyno and then they go to uh UCC 2017 and pretty much put the same number down.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is no I I, I yeah. definitely think it's you know there's there's a gap there, right? Like I, th- I we've all clearly identified it it's, it's just wondering how long and who's going to come out with that solution because it may start to whittle down to who can hold on to that because as you've gotten faster right. on the street and at the strip so have other trucks in the in the NHRA. Yeah, I mean, there's a battle right now yep. uh, for a few months there over the summer. It felt like every 30 days somebody was setting a new record. Like yep. every race, yeah, it, it was somebody else was the fastest ever in the class. Um, <laughs> yep,
2: it's fun, honestly.
0: Yeah, and, and, and everybody
2: everybody's pushing each other.
0: <laughs> that competition it really does seem to come to a head. I love where UCC has positioned themselves for timing. Now it's the start of the 2018 season. Uh, It really kicks off to see, kind of set the pace and and set the bar for, is 2018 going to be a repeat of that? Are we going to continue to see these 4,500-pound trucks go faster and faster? At what point are we just limited out? You you know, like you said, putting 3,000 horsepower down, you you know, it's still hard. Right. right? It's not like it's, oh, just make more power, like, oh, bigger turbos, right?
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah, we're still, still, uh, there's still room for improvement. I mean, just knowing our truck, I mean, we picked up... We picked up four tenths, uh, or our fastest time in 2016 versus our fastest time in 2017 was a, uh, like a little over three tenths of a second. Um, and I still feel there's room for improvement. I don't know that we can get another three tenths out of it, but I feel like there's another one or two tenths uh, in the truck uh, pretty easily, I think. But unfortunately, we were going to have uh, put our truck in the corner after Rudy's last year and... Come springtime, just dust it off and show up at UCC with what we had last year just because we were tired of working and spending money on it. (laughs) And then uh, we had a couple opportunities to test some new fuel system components that Exergy was working on and also some new turbos that could have made a couple extra hundred horsepower. Um, So we decided to pull the motor out, make a quick trick to the engine dyno, and I'm sure you guys saw the video, but it ended up splitting the block in two and it broke the internet along with uh, the yeah. engine, so instead of not working on our truck, we had to work on it more than what we wanted to. So we are actually today picking up the new engine and starting putting the truck back together. So we only got a month left.
0: Yeah, I uh, I love that so much. There's just so much about that story for me to just think on. So one, uh, you weren't you weren't your plan was literally to like park the truck. Take the truck and, and like that's it. Right. Like, hey, it won last year. We're not going to do all these crazy swaps anymore. We're going to simplify the, the, the setup between, but like we're going to run the same truck. And then by pure mistake or accident or just, you know, blessed mistake, which is what I call my son. Um, Jesus. <laughs> Dude, what is I said wrong. blessed. What is wrong? I said blessed. Right. He's one. He doesn't know what I'm saying yet. Oh, Anyways. Um... Gonna, this is going to be recorded. And this is going down in history. He's going to hear this. At any rate, um, you, you just, you had to. So you had to put it back together. Why why keep going further? Like, you already crushed it last year. You weren't, like you said, you you, you can only put down so much more. Why keep pushing pushing it once you rebuilt it?
1: Well, I mean, before he even answers that, well, it, there was a blessed sign, right? A sign there. He pulled the motor, and the motor literally blew up on the dyno right after that. Could have been in the truck at the track.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: Right. So, I mean, that was God no, looking No, I know. Out. I mean,
2: that, there's, there's so many what-ifs there because, really, that was um right after we we pulled it out pull pulled the running truck apart and go to the dyno and and the third pass in it comes apart and bad enough that if that would happen on the track uh it would probably crash the truck and it it would have been bad yeah so i i'm i'm glad it happened on the dyno um and i'm not glad that it happened cuz it cost me a lot of time and money but we really did <laughs> seriously consider um just parking the truck for a year because it it really does put a just put a lot of load on the well, just finances of the business, and uh, to be able to have to rebuild it. It's, you know, you end up spending another thirty thousand dollars by the time you buy. You're buying a new block. You're buying a new crank. It broke the billet rail. It, it bent all the fuel lines. It tore all your fuel system lines. Your oil feed drains. Your oil feed for your turbos. It kinked the turbo piping. It broke the turbo compressor cover. Like everything oh. was broken. <laughs> so it's kind of a uh, We're now getting the engine back. Like it broke our fuel cell. That was all stuff that was on the truck, that was on the dyno cart. You know, so it was something that was going to be a quick fix. It tore the Bosch standalone harness. The ECU took a nice tumble, landed on the crankshaft, which luckily that still checks out okay. So you know, now we're getting the engine back. We're going to get it back in the truck. While that seems simple, but we have to make all new fuel lines, all new oil lines, all new oil drains. Put new fuel cells on the truck, run new lines from the fuel cell to the engine. It's just, it's not that hard. It just takes a couple weeks to do.
0: Chris, I feel like we throw around the the phrase, uh, a rolling hand grenade, like all the time, right? 600 horsepower trucks, 700 horsepower stock engine trucks call them rolling hand grenades. And we always make the analogy, somebody pulled the pin, we just don't know when it's going to blow, right? right? Um, (laughs) But once you're you're up at 2,000, 3,000 horsepower, even with the experience of having four national championships, even with the experience of all the years of racing and all the years of everything, you really – I mean, once you're at this horsepower level, you really don't know. There, there really no, isn't a way to predict I mean, how long is it going to last. You just know it's not going to last. No. You just... Right. dude, It's a success getting and there's it down really, the
2: I mean, we got... Oh, we had 84 passes uh, out of a block, and yeah, that's a stock block, and you're also starting with a... Uh, you're starting with a course that you don't really know the history of. You don't know, does it come out of a wreck truck? Has it, has it already had stress on the block? You don't, You don't really know what happened with it, so... We really wanted to put um, a new billet block in it, uh, but it was really just cost and the time involved in changing to a billet block and setup that we opted to not. So we just bought a new, brand new block from Cummins. That way we know the history and we'll plan on putting 100 passes on it and probably look for another block again.
0: I'd say one of the few guys in this horsepower range now not either considering or going to the billet blocks. They've been getting more and more popular. It seems like we've heard a lot about them this year.
2: Yes, and they're the billet blocks that have been on the market. Some of the LSM blocks, um, they they work really well, but you still got to keep the torque out of the engine. And obviously, I mean, we the, the longer you're in this, the more you try to tune out the torque because the torque is really what makes insane solar pressures and solar pressures tries to either blow your head off or break your block. Um, yeah. But torque is also what makes you go fast. So there's a compromise. UCC kind of sets you up for failure because the dyno is a competition of horsepower plus torque for a combined number. So you really want to set up the truck to make torque, yeah. so you have a good number. But that's also what tears your stuff up. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, at least it's so day two, so you can a get a good lock, pass in on I a mean, strip and then destroy it.
2: They, yeah, there are there are a couple companies making some new billet blocks. Um, that was kind of what. Through thought process at DMJ, when he designed that new block with, uh, it's got six bolt mains, uh, so you get a total of forty-two main bolts holding the bed plate on. Um, he wanted to make something that is strong enough that if you do want to throw torque at it, it's going to take it and not move the mains. Uh-huh. Um, but he doesn't. He didn't physically have time to. Uh, get that block done. Get it to the engine dyno. Get it tested, and get it in our truck for UCC. And I didn't physically have the funds to be able to afford it if I if he had time.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, they're not cheap. It, it's uh, it's cutting edge, right? Like literally cutting edge. So right. Uh, well, and the
2: block itself is not that expensive, but when you go to a billet block and then it's filled, so you got to go dry some oil system. Um, you go dry sump oil system, you can easily spend 10 grand on something like that. And it's, you start throwing money around and you add up pretty quickly. And you look at the total amount that you're going to spend putting a billet block, billet head, dry sump engine together. And you're like, I'm out. Yeah. Well,
1: you're not talking hundreds, you're talking thousands. And it's thousands and thousands. And just the initial, I'm off? No, I'm talking. There you go. Okay, it sounds good because I yep. can't hear myself in the headphones. <laughs> I was just going to say, okay, when you're starting to do these things, you know, it's, it's tens of thousands of dollars and the initial quote or the initial idea of that bill, it's generally not that cost either.
0: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, there's also this question of like, even if you go to a billet block, like you say, you got 84 passes out of, out of a used block, out of a core that you don't know the history of. I mean, are you saying like, once you go, once you go to like a badass billet like that, is it going to be 500 passes Or is it going to be 200 passes? Because, like you said, for all that extra,
2: the block itself really should go uh, a long, long, long time. I mean, it it is significantly stronger. There's a lot more mass holding it together. Um, Obviously, the engine is still going to have to be refreshed. You know, piston rings don't last forever. You're throwing enough. You know, that's your wear thing. So you can still, but and even. like we've seen billet blocks being able being welded back together if they chuck a rod and throw a chunk out of out of it. It's not ideal. Uh but that's like a lot of the top fuel cars are set up like that where if they chuck a rod they can weld the block back up and uh remachine it and, and keep going on their way without buying a new one. So there are advantages. It's more of a rebuildable platform for an all out race application, but it's still not uh with with what's available to the diesel market, um it's coming, uh, but it's still not very feasible for just the average Joe to be like, I'm going to order up a billet block and uh, put this in my race truck. Yeah. If, uh, if you're going to end up spending $75,000 on an engine by the time you get a, a, a block, a head, a billet block, billet head, and a dry sump oil system, fuel system. I mean, it, it adds up quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Levon, as we've asked everybody else, who are they looking out for as competition, or who do they think is like the main the main competition they need to keep an eye on? Uh, literally, all of our competitors have mentioned your name. Who are you looking out for? Who do you think is going to make a big splash at UCC this year?
2: Um, we're going to mostly focus on ourselves because we're going to do the best we can. And that's what we need to worry about. Because if we if we can go out and we can actually put a seven second pass on the board, and we can put twenty five hundred horsepower on the dyno, and do a solid sled pool, we're going to be a, a tough competitor. Um, other competitors to look for. I mean, there's there's a lot. of Derrick Rose is always going to bring it. Um, there's there's too many. Going over the list of people, there's really too many people to discredit because there's a lot of really good hardware going together. Um, the Industrial Injection Chevy, uh, they're out practicing and they've gotten, they went 530 in the 8th uh, this last weekend at NHRDA. They're going to be a force to reckon with. Um, they're, you know, I, I anticipate them to being uh, hard to beat on the dyno. They're going to go pretty fast the drag strip. Um, and I heard, I'm sure sled pulling, sled pulling is kind of like drawing from a hat. You do the best you can, but um, you can't. You can't plan on winning the sled pull because you can get uh, a bad draw or a bad read on the track and end up not doing anywhere near as good as you thought.
0: Yeah, Yeah, the dirt does seem to be the great equalizer here at this. Um, so many guys are not set up for it. We have so few hardcore sled pullers actually in the UCC, it's kind of surprising to me. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, if, as the years go on, if we draw more of a crowd for the big sled pullers in the country to start getting into the UCC and figuring out how do they convert... You know, an eighty five hundred pound truck into something that can go fast at the track, and because right. they got experience making power on on chassis dynos, so it'll be interesting to see who this draws in and kind of what the what the total enclosure is over time. Uh, Levon, right. you had already mentioned this isn't a, a project. Obviously, you do alone. You got a lot of help from your crew, from your family. Uh, who else do you want to give a shout out to? I
2: definitely want to give out the shout to. Uh, all the guys at Firepunk, because they invest a lot of time in it, and a lot of the guys, uh, they donate their time evenings and weekends when they're helping on it. I mean, that, that cannot go unnoticed because that, uh, that's a big sacrifice. And then uh, Drew and the guys at D&J, uh, they do the same thing. They put lots and lots of hours in it. They want to win as bad as we do. Uh, last year about all their guys helped on the engine swap and taking shifts overnight. And like, we didn't, we don't work together. We're we're our shops are hour and a half apart, but when, uh, when they haven't, they build an engine and they want to win and they, they jumped in and helped, uh, you can't, uh, you can't let that lay. And then, uh, the guys at Exergy, uh, they've got, they've got a drive to win and they're on our team. And, uh, I know Phil and Rick and Randy up at Exergy is really all have, uh, vested interest in our projects and we'll definitely appreciate that because they're they're putting their time and efforts into trying to find something later and greater and and bigger and better for uh for us to to be able to go out and do what we do uh phil taylor at diesel performance converters he uh he has a pro street truck that uh back in the day was one of the fastest trucks out there and now he is like uh how many converters do I need to sell you so I don't have to put my truck back together? <laughs> he, uh, he's, he's learned uh, he's learned how much how much work it is to keep a pro street truck together on that level. Um, he's always willing to uh, send us a loose stall converter for the sled pull and a different stall converter for the um, for the drag racing. And he's he's got our, his support a hundred percent. And there's uh there's a lot of uh, other sponsors that are coming on board this year to help us out. It's going
0: to be a good year. Awesome, man. Well, we can't wait to see you at the show. We're definitely going to pull you away from the action at some point and make you come do an interview in the uh, booth with us and uh, get on some of the live feeds. But for today, I did just want to say thank you so much for your time again, LeVon. We really appreciate you talking to our listeners.
2: Hey, no problem. Anytime.
0: Listeners, thank you so much for today. This has been Paul Wilson and Chris Emke. Thanks for listening. The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of Duramaxtuner.com. Calibrated Power develops emissions equipped calibrations for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including Duramax, Cummins, Power Stroke, John Deere, Case, New Holland, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out calibratedpower.com or call 815 568 7920. That's 815 568 7920. If you'd like to contact the podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email Paul at Duramaxtutor.com or Chris at CEHMK at DuramaxTuner.com. Hey, thanks for listening. Your feedback is appreciated. Please rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and by all means, let us know if you have any ideas for a podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Motherfucker, uh, regular cab, black LB seven. My shit. I just three hundred thousand miles, and my oh. dick is hard. I'm Dude. telling you, it's yeah. just so like a the cool re- setup. <laughs>
1: you like the old randowns, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>